with social marketing. You use storytelling, you use family, you use people. Um, we even use our dogs. They feature in that sort of thing because it creates a connection. If you just bang on about, I've got this wine to sell, I've got this wine to sell, well, people go, you know, they shut off. But if you weave in those stories and the history and the community and that feeling, people feel connected. Hello and welcome to episode 67 of Be The Drop, a weekly podcast that delivers practical insights to help you unlock your brand story and supercharge your business. I'm Amelia Veal, small business owner and storytelling superhero. Here at Narrative Marketing, we are passionate about the power of telling stories to help us learn and connect and also to build business relationships that drive sales. I was very excited about this week's interview because I got to visit Paracombe Wines on a beautiful sunny day in the Adelaide Hills and get some of my Christmas shopping done at the same time. Owner Kathy Drogmuller and her husband bought the land in 1983 after the Ash Wednesday bushfires. After discovering Paracombe's 19th century viticulture heritage, they decided to give it a go. Starting by selling a few cartons of wine transported in the back of their car, to now transporting pallets of wine by truckloads to consumers in South Australia, interstate and beyond, Paracombe Wines have successfully built on the area's long history of wine. In today's episode of Be The Drop, Kathy and I discuss overcoming fateful obstacles, the importance of storytelling in building a wine brand, and how to show the human side of a successful business. Hi, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me here at Paracombe Wines for the next episode of Be The Drop. Amelia, I'm just delighted to have you here. Welcome. Oh, it's so, and what a cracking day. We have absolutely scored. It's beautiful sitting here amongst the, wine, the vineyards and in this lovely rotunda, we've, yeah. we've done very well. We have, we've pressed the good weather button today. Everything's all lining up for us. It's, it's good, fabulous. Good. So now I know that you've got your item of significance and that's something that connects you with your community and shares a little bit of background. So if you could tell us the story. Seeing that you've come to Paracombe Wines and we make wine, I thought perhaps it would be appropriate to talk about a very special bottle of wine. And the one that I've chosen is the Reuben. It's our blend. And it's named after Reuben Chapman, who he's on the corner of the label, as you can see. Yes, yes, looking so, very trendy. Yes, the original hipster with the big beard. <laughs> and so he lived in Paracombe District here, the late 1800s, early 1900s. So one of the very significant early settlers in our district. And he gave a lot to the area. He donated the land where the oval and the hall and the church and the cricket grounds are great community man, loved by many people. And when we decided that we were going to do a blend wine, we thought, what can we call it? And came up with the idea of calling it after Reuben Chapman. So hence it's called the Reuben. And there is the fruit from our vineyard and three local family growers that live here at Paracombe. So acknowledgement to them in the district and five grape varieties, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Malbec, Cabernet Franc and Shiraz, so quite significant and interesting. So the Reuben is a very important district wine here at Paracombe. Oh, fabulous. Now, so 
obviously the wine and the community is really important. And how long have you been here and farming and, and creating wines? My husband Paul and I, we bought this farm in 1983 after the Ash Wednesday bushfires. Right. And so when we bought it, it was completely burnt out. We did some research and found there was a history of grape growing and winemaking in Paracombe went back to the mid-1800s. We discovered that the first vintages of Penfolds Grange and St Henri came from Paracombe. There used to be tollies that made wine from the district. So we had decided, look, we've got to the edge of the cliff. We might as well jump off. We'll land somewhere. So we started in a tin shed, homemade basket press, secondhand milk tanks and then first released our wines in 1992. Wow. And that, so that going to that first release, what was that like? And, and how did you get your product out to market? You know, you're starting at that very beginning point, unknown brand. How do you get people to know and try your product? So initially what we did we, when we launched, we launched around the home garden and we invited a lot of family and friends and business associates, but we still had wine to sell. So at that stage when we launched, I was eight months pregnant with our daughter, Sarah. <laughs> and then after I had her, I would load up my children as babies in the back of the car and drive around Adelaide to restaurants, hotels and bottle shops with my babies in the back of the car and some cartons of wine as well. And it proved to be a very good sales strategy because it's really hard to say no to a lady with a baby. <laughs> and so over the years, it's just grown. South Australia is, is our biggest market now. We have agents interstate that sell for us and we all export overseas as well. So mm. it's growing and growing and growing. But that was the foundation from where we started. Yeah. And I think about how I used to drive out with a with a station wagon with wine in the back of the car. And then now there's semi-trailers that come in and go out with pallets of wine. So from that time in 19, what was it, 1990 that you- 92 first... when we launched. Yes, that's right. So you've now grown the business and you now have family working in the business yes, as well? Yes, we do. Our son Ben works with us in the business. So when he and Sarah both, when she was little as well, in school holidays, when it would be vintage and harvest, they would help with picking and we hand prune every vine. So after they're pruned, they need to be tied down. So Ben, as a young boy, would do that. And then when he left school, he started working in the business. So it's been wonderful thinking when, you know, he, he started right from scratch going through. We are very fortunate. We have the most incredible, awesome team of people that work with us. Mm. Paul uh, is, a is a fantastic cook. We have Ryan who is with us as well and, and he does amazing food. Because your small family business, people are involved not in all different facets. So for instance, they might be out in the vineyard, in the winery, helping in the kitchen, pouring wines, delivering if need. You mentioned food and you use food yes. and I, I think that's obviously there's a symbiotic relationship there with food and, and wine and that experience. So how important is that, not just internally with your staff, but also with customers? Is that a conversation that you have around those relationships and the marriage between food and wine? Yes. So it's not like a can of Coke, which is just manufactured to a recipe and you grab it out the fridge and you just drink it. Wine is an experience which carries right through and it provides a lot of joy and happiness. So. When we're marketing, we might talk about what particular food styles will go with the wine. 
we do wine dinners and so that's a wonderful experience because then people can taste and smell the wine and learn about it with food and that creates that hospitality and that mind opening experience. Mm. Not, not all businesses can do that. Yeah. And obviously you mentioned Reuben and his, the story behind that. Have you used other stories with naming of other wines? Yes, yes, we have. So our super premium wine, Somerville Shiraz, was named after a man called James Jazz Somerville, who was the first man to plant vines in the district here at Paracombe. And we, there's another good story there. <laughs> so we would, this, his, there was this old Shiraz, which was planted in 1903. And we would go down and, and we've got the fruit from that vineyard a couple of times. And the people that actually had those old vines decided that they didn't really want them anymore. And we were set to get the fruit from them one year and the people had horses and they'd left the gate open and the horses got in and ate the crop. Oh no. Then another year we were set to harvest the fruit and some people came during the night and stole the grapes. So, <laughs> so then what happened was we went in and we dug each vine out individually. Paul went in, because if you can imagine, old vines have got a long root system. So Paul went in with a tractor and a deep ripper to cut off the root system and then dug them up individually and transplanted them next to our home. And then now we're the custodians of those centurion old vines. And we have that wonderful wine named after James Jazz Somerville called oh. Somerville Shiraz. Yeah. And we do, it's only a small amount that we do and it's very delicious. Mm. So obviously, you know, in these stories, you've got a strong connection with place and location yes. and, and community. Yes. How important is it to weave that in and around your, your products? I think it's very important. And for instance, even with social marketing, you use storytelling, you use family, you use people. Um, we even use our dogs. They feature in that sort of thing because it creates a connection. If you just bang on about, I've got this wine to sell, I've got this wine to sell, well, people go, you know, they shut off. But if you weave in those stories and the history and the community and that feeling, people feel connected. I use Facebook and I find that's very engaging. I use Instagram and I use Twitter as well and LinkedIn. Mm. And in my head, I think that's great because there are those people all around the world that are getting glimpses about Paracombe mm. and stories about Paracombe. Yeah. And um, you know, Instagram is, is good visually, but um, and LinkedIn is more for business professionals. So they've all got their platforms of, of what they work when you tailor your message. Mm. So do you do that? You break down different messages for your different platforms? Yes, I do. Yes, yes. So say, for instance, LinkedIn, I might um, make a mention about we've got four wines on the shelf in wine stores in Sweden with the government monopoly there or I've been over at a fair or we've won an award or something significant that's happened there that I'm thinking about. I want to target um, people internationally and local people, professional people. Facebook is, you know, very much uh, ge general people, quite broad based. And do you think that at the end of the day that the sharing of those stories and the, that sort of engagement do you see that that provides a benefit to the sales volumes? Does it help drive 
that connection so far that people will actually come in and purchase wines or buy it online? I think what I think it, it does help to a point and what it does sometimes it's not instantly measurable. It's like that brand building awareness exercise that at some someone because they see something might not necessarily make them go straight to an online shop or go straight into a store to buy it. But it builds an awareness. Although having said that, if, if we've won an award or we've had a good review in the paper and you promote that, sometimes that does connect people then to go off and, and buy the wine. Mm. And, and so is awards in the wine industry, is that something that's a really critical part, you know, spending time and focusing on, on awards? Yes. Yes, it is. It's that third party endorsement. And when you win awards again, that I mean, that, that's great for us because it means that we're, we're producing a quality product that's recognised. It's giving the endorsement. People are impressed by that and, and it builds your reputation. So, yes, that does play, play a role. Mm. You know, it's like building blocks of different things that go into building up your name and your reputation for your product. So along the way, like going and building this, you know, from having your babies in the back of the car to where you are now, what have been some of the key both challenges and wins along the way? So with us, for instance, 2011 is a good example. We had a, a very wet, difficult vintage where a lot of rain, a lot of disease pressures. And so that means that you have some losses with your crop but also it means that um, Paul worked very closely with checking the weather and, and everyone was working really, really hard. So, for instance, we came in and we produced a rosé from that vintage because we had to go in. Paul took me for a walk in the vineyard to look at the fruits and he said, look, we've got a choice here. We, we've got the potential with the way it is that we can pick this fruit early and make a rosé or we can leave it and potentially lose it. So I thought, well, okay, let's have a play and make a rosé. So that was exciting, but then we also had some losses. So that meant you had lower yields. So that's a factor that can come in. But having said that in that same year, we won some incredible awards from that wine that year with different wines that we produce and that to me was a lesson that I wanted people to say just because you have because sometimes if you have a difficult year the press is don't buy the wine from that year because it won't be any good well that's not the case sometimes when people work harder and harder and harder in difficult circumstances you can produce extraordinary wine and it's a testament to farming and endurance and resilience and trying to overcome that Mm. So, that, so that's an area. The other thing is that for your brand, you need to be very careful about protecting it and not, and, um, not getting caught up too much in discounting because you can lose the value of years of hard work in a, in a snapshot. So you've got to be very careful about that. It's not about just selling lots of it at a lower price. That's right. Yeah, because you've got to weigh up the bigger, yes. longer term. Yeah, and you've got to look at the hard work and effort that goes in and being paid for your time and effort to produce and being a smaller family operation. There's a lot of costs that go into growing the grapes and making the wine. It's not a cheap exercise. No, no. And the other thing there that you mentioned before is, is the, the elements. I mean, that's an area that businesses you know, outside of farming yes. don't have to deal with. You That's know, right. I mean, there might be 
the market e economic environment, but yes. I mean, all business is dealing yes. with that. So you've got yep. this other layer. You know, is that does that sometimes become incredibly challenging or frustrating because you just can't control that? No, like you look at, at the moment, it's so lush and green because we've had some wonderful rains, so it's good for the garden and good for the lawns and and good for the vines. But it does mean that we've got to go in and spray with copper and sulphur natural products to keep mildew at bay because this time of year here in early summer baby bunches of grapes are forming. So it's important that to protect them and make sure they don't get disease. If they get disease now, then you've lost your crop. And, and a whole other layer of, of challenges yes. within business. Yes. Yeah. But you know, that's life. Life is not all plain sailing and all wine and roses and pure and <laughs> wonderful and happiness and joy. No matter what business you're in, you do have your challenges and your difficulties. But You've just got to be aware of them, prepare yourself and learn from experience and sometimes understand there are things you can't control. As much mm. as you would like to, you can't. Well, Cathy, thank you so much for sharing your tips and this wonderful location. In conclusion though, can you share with me Cathy's Be The Drop tip? So that's your top communication tip for connection with community. So my top tip is to be yourself be real, be authentic, be open. So I think it's important to be open to opportunity, open ears, listening to what people are saying and what's happening in the marketplace and open to change if need be. Oh, fabulous. Thank you so much. And it's so okay. we should do a little, let's do a cheers. Yes. Well, how about, because we've got Christmas coming up. Cheers yes, to Reuben. That's right. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. It is our mission to help unlock the power of story through this podcast and the range of products and services that we offer. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To get in touch with any specific comments, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that. Until next time.